The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Glory podcast. This we, is going to be an exciting one. I know. We are going to talk about poop, and this is the best thing ever. All things poop. All things poop. So we have two wonderful guests with us today. Our first guest is Dr. Paul Moyetti, and he's the lead investigator of the Imagine Network, and he's a gastroenterologist at McMaster University. We also have uh, Mr. Ziad Mia. He is part of the study. He's a participant, a patient with IBD. Hi everybody, I'm Lisa. And I'm Chantel, and this is Gut and Glory. Gentlemen, thank you for being here with us today to talk about all things poop, an FMT study. <laughs> this is so exciting. I know, this is like I know. one of those topics that we've always wanted to get deeper into. Well, just, and to be honest, a patient perspective and a doctor who knows about it, other than us just running around shouting poop, yeah. right? Well, yes. Um, that, so that Dr. is Mariani, fine when it happens. Yeah, um, Imagine is conducting a number of fecal transplant um, studies and going on to determine the efficacy of obviously using this as a mode of treatment mm-hmm. for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease and pouchitis and a couple of other things. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in the studies you're doing? Studies, because it's more than one. Yes, and to be clear, they're led by different people. Right. Uh, first of all, I say as a gastroenterologist, it's great to meet people excited by poop. Oh, because yeah. um, <laughs> generally, we're not uh, at dinner parties, we're, we're not minority. really welcome. Yeah. <laughs> You're going uh, to the wrong party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I'm passionate about what we're doing. But each of those studies is led by a different person. Right. Uh, uh, so we're involved in all of them at Master, but uh, the, the, we have one poop study looking at Crohn's disease, um, okay. one of the first in the world to do that, uh, led by Dina Cow and Karen Madsen in Edmonton. Uh, there is the ulcerative colitis study. We were the first people in the world to do a randomized trial on this. Uh, uh, the PLAST one, which was published in 2015, and we've gone on and tried to develop it further with this trial uh, that Ziad was involved with uh, um, on this time. And we're still doing that trial. And as you say, there's a pouchitis study led by Neeraj Narula at McMaster. Uh, and again, early successes with that too. So it is quite so, I mean, exciting. This is, you, you, know, you mentioned 2015, and I know that in Europe, I've read about FMT happening in there as well. So this is technically not new. So the fact that it's continuing means that you're finding research that's feeding it to continue. You're finding positive impacts of this. Yes, so our trial was positive. Right. Um, at the same time, a Dutch group actually published a negative study. Right. <laughs> so people thought we were uh, crazy and this didn't work. Um, right. But uh, there have been two Australian randomized trials since then, uh, and they have also been positive, uh, roughly following what we did. So. Um, I think the feeling is uh, that for ulcerative colitis, you need to give it uh, to the colon. Right, uh, exactly. The Dutch study was giving it uh, via an endoscope, orally. which is uh, orally, which is not harder. so great. It's right. harder. Um, and it probably needs to be given more frequently as well. Uh, we give it once a week uh, or once every two weeks. Um, 
if you just try it uh, once every three weeks, as the Dutch were doing, it's uh, to try and get someone in remission, it's probably not enough. Mm. Uh, so now I think people are coming around more to the fact that this might work. Right. Um, but it's still early days. Mm-hmm. So what do you find are some of the, like, obviously you need to find healthy participants who are open to, I guess, donating their poop? Is this how, so is yes. that one of the barriers to? All right. I mean, it is a huge issue. Uh, it is a big commitment to come to the hospital quite often with your poo. And, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, using a brown paper bag. <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, have us uh, process it and uh, and then uh, analyze it to make sure there are absolutely no, nothing there that could cause harm. Um, and this is the other issue is, uh, yes, there aren't many people willing to do that. Absolutely. And even less that qualify. Right. Uh, so because, once you've collected all the stool, it's yeah. not like everyone's a given to be moving on no. to the next step, right? So in fact, a lot of people, it's surprising what's in there that could cause harm. Wow. Uh, so uh, really? uh, we uh, uh, in Edmonton, they they exclude ninety percent of people that wow. volunteer. Ours isn't quite as bad as that. I don't know why. Maybe Hamiltonians are naturally <laughs> more healthy, but I, I somehow doubt it. Uh, uh, Sorry, Edmonton. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, still, the majority of people who would offer, we actually find aren't, aren't suitable. Uh, because okay. we do screen, for example, antibi- antibiotic-resistant organisms. Of course. They don't necessarily cause you any harm, but obviously... We don't want to introduce you, anything you, new. You, so that yeah. person would be excluded. Uh, so then there are low-level things that occasionally cause harm. So again, the person is fine, but we've right. got to exclude them because right. uh, they still have this. Are you still looking for people to do yes. this? Yes. So anyone, obviously... Who has have no to diagnosis be, yeah, of IBD. They, they, cannot, they have to be healthy. It's not just no diagnosis of IBD. They have to uh, have to be healthy, not on any um, medication. Uh, if you do take antibiotics, you can't donate for six months uh, okay. afterwards so that we stabilize. So this is, these are healthy. not people who have other autoimmune diseases like arthritis. Or these are generally your healthy people. Yeah. Okay. Have you thought about changing the way that you ask for people and maybe setting up like an American Idol kind of thing? Like, <laughs> like judges. Who makes and, it through to the next you know, level? To create some kind of like excitement around bringing your poop down. That's a Will great idea. <laughs> I don't know why we didn't think of that. I, I'm full of ideas. I think we should ask Simon Carroll to help Yeah, us. I definitely yeah. Oh my goodness, he's the worst. He would be so negative. How do people, like if some if someone's listening, you know, I and I would think that maybe a lot of the participants would be loved ones of people who have IBD. Absolutely. I feel like they have a personal invest, like I can help in some way or anyone who's listening, how can they um, sign up to see if their poop will make it to the next level? Uh, so uh, they can contact uh, me. I'm uh, available by email. Okay, uh, and I'm sure if we Google you, yes, your contact information comes up because you're a doctor. So you're Googling. Uh, sadly, it does. Yes, yes. <laughs> you can't hide. Yes, yeah. um, I better not commit a crime because I'll be easy enough to find. Yes. And I'm assuming, is it easier if these people are within the Hamilton area? For donors, absolutely. Because okay. uh, you have to come to the hospital often and this right. is purely volunteering to help others. Of course. Uh, we yeah, Obviously, you can come from anywhere, but I imagine only people from the Hamilton area would be interested. Okay. In terms of for the study, if you're someone in the case of ulcerative colitis, which is our current study, all Crohn's disease. I have UC. Yeah. yeah um, 
they, uh, uh, they, you can come from anywhere. Uh, and we do have many people from Toronto and even the odd person from Ottawa and Montreal right. uh, makes the trip, which is obviously a huge commitment. Uh, but, but some are willing because uh, they've known people who've, who've had successes and uh, want to try this. So tell us, so are you still recruiting patients for your current yes. study, IBD patients? So we, we have two separate studies, one okay. for Crohn's disease, one for ulcerative colitis, and, and probably a third for pouchitis. And both happening out of, all uh, happening all, out of McMaster? All are recruiting from McMaster. They're led by different people. I wouldn't want you to think I'm leading everything. Right, right. No, I'm not. But you're involved. I, but I'm involved in all of them, and um, I lead the ulcerative colitis study. Yes. Okay, so you're still looking for patients who would be... Uh, we would be excited to see anyone. Uh, um, not everyone's eligible, of course, of course. Uh, but we try and make the inclusion criteria as broad as possible, so most people, uh, as long as they have active disease, uh, would be eligible. The big exclusion is if you're well at the moment, uh, those are they, that isn't the type of study we're doing at least at the moment so they don't need necessarily a referral to again the patients can reach out to you directly or? Uh, yes they can and do uh, but for us to see you just to meet um, uh, government and health Canada requirements they have to be referred by either their GP or the GI specialist so if they take mm -hmm. this knowledge to their GI or their GP yeah. say I found a committee online he has the study and I think Ziad you'll share that's kind of mm -hmm. how you got involved yeah. Um, they can yes. get a referral for you directly. And we would see people usually fairly quickly, okay. within a week or two. Uh, uh, there are the odd exception, but usually it's, it's quick. And if you're a patient enrolled in this study, um, you pass and you, <laughs> yes, you are allowed to be here. Um, what does that entail for the patient? For the current study for ulcerative colitis, uh, that would involve coming to Hamilton, sorry, um, but I think Hamilton's a Hamilton's lovely place. Hamilton's beautiful. Yes. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> <laughs> lots, lots of Torontonians buying houses there because the market they, they price yeah. the market. So if you pause there, so here we market. go. Yeah. So they come to Hamilton to see you. you. And initially they just see me. We explain the study and Melanie, the coordinator of the study, will explain it to them as well and coordinates everything to make sure it happens as smoothly as possible within the Canadian healthcare system. And... Uh, <laughs> And then uh, if the person's willing uh, to come, they, we would then, I'd then do a flexible sigmoidoscopy. It's just a tube, just the first bit of the yeah. uh, bowel, no not, not yeah. usually no sedation, not the whole bowel prep awful thing of uh, colonos full colonoscopy, just the first right. bit of the bowel. Um, if there is active inflammation there, and if we make sure you don't have C. difficile, right. those be the two things, then, uh, then you would be eligible to take part. And if you're willing, you'd be randomized to antibiotics for two weeks or placebo for two weeks. Okay. But then after those two weeks, you definitely get fecal transplants. So that's where the placebo is coming in. Yeah. So okay. it's just in the antibiotics because this trial is seeing if adding antibiotics beforehand makes the treatment better. Okay. Uh, so if you like, you're wiping out the bacteria somewhat so the good bacteria can take hold better. That's the theory. Right. And it's true. We'll, we will find out. Right. Uh, so um, that, that's the placebo element. But uh, everyone then gets fecal transplants twice a week for eight weeks. So the, I'm assuming you're doing flexible sigmoidoscopy because it's UC patients and it's an enema. Enema or suppository? It's enema. So, so you, that's why you're you really could, scoping yeah. the bottom end. So all we right. need to see is the bottom end. Right. Uh, although it's interesting that even those with 
colitis all the way around, when we do colonoscope them when they need it clinically, uh, it, it, it cures the whole the colon. Wow. The enema not only helps, the whole colon looks normal. Right. Uh, so, uh, and that sort of makes sense because ulcerative colitis always starts in the rectum. And then uh, spreads. And then spreads around, sometimes just the first bit, sometimes all the way around to the cecum, the other end. Yeah. But uh, the bottom line is it always starts in the rectum. So that's probably the reservoir of the bacteria or organism that's causing this disease. Right. And if you can dampen that down, then the rest gets better too. So you have you've had people in the study who've had pancreatitis then, like yes. involving. Okay. And uh, they've they've done well. In fact, that you know, if they have it throughout the colon, they don't seem to do any worse uh, than someone who just has it in the, the rectum. Right. And, and that's I think that's how you see is different than Crohn's. You see is very much starts in a place and then spreads from there, as opposed to Crohn's nature is quite patchy. Yes. And can be Crohn's through can the pick whole. Pick up and move. Yeah. yeah through the whole yeah. area. So that was why we studied that first, is it was more predictable. We knew if we gave it to the rectum, that should help. Right. And as it turned out, about a quarter of the, not about, a quarter of the people in the first study were in remission at week six, um, which is as good as any biologic Absolutely. at week six. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was better than placebo, of course. Um, uh, and these these participants have carried on now for for many years, and uh, we haven't cured anyone. It's important to emphasize that. Yeah, is that yeah. So we're putting a, them in remission. We're putting them in remission, but all of them in the first trial stopped. Um, but then uh, all of them by eighteen months had relapsed again, which uh, is proving that this treatment yeah. needs to continue. Mm -hmm. So really. we then. We now offer a service where we do this maybe once a month or once every two, three weeks, depending on the person. And uh, uh, that tends to hold people, although occasionally they will relapse. Uh, but then usually, given that they responded the first time, if you do it weekly for a few weeks, uh, they're going to remission again. Oh, now, I wouldn't want you to think, unfortunately, not it. everyone has stayed that way. No, I no, mean, they, yeah, they, right. they tend to be a young population. So one moved to Vancouver. She couldn't, in the end, keep going. <laughs> this was <laughs> a, bit, a bit expensive. She tried for a while. Yeah. I really appreciate her, her enthusiasm. But uh, eventually, she, she, she had to stop for obvious reasons and other things like that. Uh, and um, so it's not like I can say all of them are still doing well. Uh, but I think that's an honest descriptive of any IBD treatment. Yeah. Like it's, it's not like it doesn't, it's not a fix all. Like not, no. not one medication is going to help every single one of us, you know. Yes. There's going to be success and failure in some And areas. you might respond to something for a while. Absolutely. And then stop responding to it, but then respond to it again in the future. So I have a couple of, I just have these questions I feel like people are listening are like, so yeah, when you I know, said there's too. an enema of poop, is it really, like, tell us about this enema. What is it actually? Like, this is poop that's been liquefied. We might as well just know cold what's poop. happening. Like, you know, it's like, cold. <laughs> oh, it's cold enema. Yeah, see, this is why we really need to ask Leah, because I can tell you what we do. I can't tell you how it feels. Okay, so you can even try one. Actually, it's a great point. 
I'm ashamed to say I haven't. <laughs> I, I've had myself endoscoped because I'm a gastroenterologist. I want to know without, without sedation so that I can know what a patient goes through. You I haven't be, done this. So, so I should. Yes, yeah. I should. Okay. Yes, a very good point. But uh, uh, what we, maybe you go over there and really explain what, what it is, but yeah. uh, what it feels like to have it. But basically what we do is we fecally contaminate water, sterile water. That's oh. all we do. So what we do is we basically mix up, uh, obviously we Some use poop. machines to do it. Yeah. Uh, we mix up uh, poop in water, uh, yeah. sterile water, and then filter it. So the particulate stuff goes out. So and it's you're still the same thing as bacteria. But, 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 well, most bacteria will stay in. Right. Um, and... Uh, it's then essentially like thickened water. So it's uh, like a, a regular enema. It's like a slurry, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a regular enema, essentially. Yeah. It's a slurry. It's a slurry. It's a slurry. <laughs> That's poop, the word. Basically. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and you had said that, you know, healthy people bring their poop in. If you pass the test, if your poop passed the test one time, that doesn't mean you're going to pass the test all the other times. Well, it's not only that, but the way we do it is we, we screen it once at baseline, let's say, and then you keep on donating school. And all we do is store it, uh, which as I said, means we have to freeze it. Uh, so we, we freeze Hence it. So the cold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, we keep the samples for uh, a, num a set period of time of a couple of two to three months. Okay. Uh, and they've donated all this time. And then we test it at the end as well. And provided they've passed both tests, we can then release that stool uh, for use. Uh, so we can we try and make it as safe as possible, because of course you mm -hmm. can pick things up all the time. Of so, course, or things can uh, grow, or yeah, or exactly. if they go on antibiotics, I guess I have to let you know. Uh, yeah. So th then it's all okay. excluded, unfortunately. Right. So if uh, and of course if you need antibiotics, you need antibiotics. But then that's the end of it. Uh, so. On the one hand, we want to minimize the number of donors uh, that, uh, that are involved in this program because in studying it, we need to have a constant sort of signal going in so you can understand better what we're doing. But on the other hand, you know, it's, it's a process and we will occasionally lose people. So right. uh, we usually have three donors on the go at any one time. Uh, but try and give an individual patient the same donor each time. I was going to so, hire security for your, <laughs> when you had the one donor. <laughs> Just make sure that person's yeah, safe. Don't let anything happen to this no. <laughs> So that donor, unfortunately, is no longer yeah, donating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in the first trial, we had this super donor, Donor B. Uh, we seemed to have the most success. Uh, they, got, they got exhausted. <laughs> so basically, they, 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 they stopped. Or did they get pooped out? Are you saying they got pooped out? That, I wish I'd said that myself. Well, you yes. welcome. There you go. So when you have, so you said three donors, and now how many patients can benefit from three donors? Uh, literally hundreds. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because so you, it's not like a one-to-one. -one. Oh no, because that poo is put in lots of water, and yeah. uh, that can we give fifty mils yeah, to each patient. A, so it's a small amount. Oh, it's only fifty. Uh, yeah, it's not a lot. Yeah. Wow. And that's diluted from the. Yes. So when the patient is enrolled in the study and, and passes, do they need to come to Hamilton every time for the enema? Uh, They're clearly not yeah. picking this up at the drugstore, so. So yeah, that's right. So at the moment, that is. Correct, um, uh, which is not ideal for, for Ziad or many others who are not, you know, it's easy enough Close if you live area. next to a hospital, but mm -hmm. otherwise it, it is a, a challenge. Uh, 
in one hand, it's no different from taking a biologic. Right, sometimes having to go to it for an infusion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, we want to make it as convenient as possible. So uh, as this gets more accepted, what we're looking to do is give uh, freeze-dried preparations, so which can we can then give to the patient. They can make up themselves at home and right. uh, just give it to themselves. So that's the future. Um, How far away do you think that is? Um, we were pretty close. And then there was uh, Health Canada obviously want to make this as safe as possible. Right, the right. processes that we were using perhaps not quite up to standard when we're in the freeze-dry preparation. Because that sounds easy. It's not as easy as it sounds. It certainly <laughs> is very smelly. <laughs> Uh, and they, yeah. they want us to have it in an environment so just like we're making a, a drug, which yeah. I, I applaud. I think we want to be as safe as possible, but that has a whole load of other regulatory hurdles we to get through. So right. I wouldn't like to put a timescale on it, right. but certainly that's what we're looking towards. Right. And you've always, you've invested your career in this right now. This is what you're focusing your time on. You know, and you so you obviously believe in this. Yes. And do you believe that it will um, be possible from the healthy donor perspective? Like, do you think? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, we've only touched the surface now. I mean, just like blood donation, if you really believe this works, everyone produces. That's how poop. we have to look at it. Yeah. Donate blood. Don't yeah. Donate poop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I believe it won't just be IBD it treats. Eventually there will be, it won't be, unfortunately now it's got a reputation, it may work in everything. Uh, whereas that probably, not probably, almost certainly is not true. Um, but there will, it's probably got a wider application than just IBD even. And that, uh, more reason to be giving it uh, to try yeah. and help. But IBD is where we're going to find the first successes. And unlike the biologics, which are great drugs, good choice to be on, uh, they, they, but they suppress the immune system. They're essentially putting a Band-Aid over the problem. Right. Uh, we used to think it was an autoimmune disease. Um, it clearly isn't. Um, uh, there's nothing autoimmune about someone with IBD, well, very rarely anyway. Uh, there's no antibodies to their colon or their small bowel. It looks for all the world like an infection. And that, yeah, and that probably is what it is. It is an infection that is causing this, just as infection causes ulcers. Right. Um, we just we didn't know about that until recently, and now a, a course of antibiotics will cure your ulcer. I believe we'll get to a stage where it may not be antibiotics, but something fairly straightforward where we know what we're doing will actually cure this disease. We're just not there yet. But the only way we will get there is with things like fecal transplants, oh, where yeah. we're actually changing your gut bacteria. Yeah. And as we study what we're changing, and Mike Surrett in uh, the Masters, our microbiologist that's studying this, once we understand what we're doing, and the successes like yeah, we can now do better and in the future, we hope cure this disease. Prevent it. Like if we mm. like if you know what is like if we can know if we know what fixes it, then we know what, what, how did they get there it, in the first place? It, it, for me, it, it's, it, it's still trying to get my head around. Like, are you telling me that the way to treat uh, gut issues is with the gut itself? Like the, gut, the bacteria that's been in a healthy body can just 
change the bacteria that's in an unhealthy body. It seems to me like, that's why didn't is. we stumble on this? Earlier? But I feel like that's common though. You're, you have something wrong with your heart getting hard. Like, what? you know, like change the heart. Like, oh, it's so like, easy you know for you to just get You have to fix what the actual, like, fix your back. Like, I, I was, we were talking before, my whole theory of illness, it's a balance issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All illnesses are, you know, you may not solve everything, but there's something out of balance, you know, I mean, diet, obviously Agreed. with those types of diseases, Agreed. but that's why it appealed to me. I mean, when I started looking at it. Yeah. So Zia, tell us about how you, well, I mean, just, got, I don't know how got I got to meet I, this wonderful specimen we have beside us here. How did this, <laughs> how did this turn out? Well, I, I don't know how I got the disease, but anyway, it just pops up. And what time is this? It's like 20, early 2015. And this is UC. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know, maybe I had it before in some low, who knows, you know, um, but it really made itself present. But yeah, I mean, right. there was blood. I was like, what is this blood? You know, so I yeah, called absolutely. my GP and he he said, you know, we should let, let's check this. Do a scope. And he immediately, like within two days, I was at the clinic because he thought, you know, something horrible was happening. And then I wake up and she's like, oh, you've got ulcerative colitis. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, <laughs> right? What is that? I just Can thought maybe she could say yeah, you have an infection or something or you ate something bad. I was like, oh, now this. Can I eat spicy foods? That was my main concern. Because right? <laughs> I love spicy food. And I said, is this going to change what I could eat? She said, well, eat whatever you want. If it bothers you, stop. Don't because, eat it. Yeah. Um, and then she put me on medication. And then I started going down that road. But I thought, I'm a curious person. Try to know everything about everything. Lisa, so I meet Chantal. Oh, so I just Lisa started. Became, he, became a he became a VIP. Yeah. A, a very, very informed, informed patient. Oh, no, well, you know, with everything, my parents had different types of cancers. I researched that to death. I mean, at one point, somebody at the hospital said, are you a doctor? I said, no, actually not. But it's good to be informed. I mean, <laughs> going through the healthcare system, if you're not... Don't go through And it's blindly. not doctor's fault. No. I mean, they're doing with so many people. You need to know the language for one because that's an accessibility. Thing. I feel like it's our responsibility right. as patients. I mean, things should be accessible from the system, but if you don't understand what's going on, you don't know what questions to ask. Absolutely. They can't, they're not mind readers yet, so they don't know mm -hmm. what to tell you. Right. So I think it's both doctors and patients need to have those responsibilities, yeah. but I just researched it to death. And then, I mean, we've all seen it. There's all sorts of stuff out there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So. I'm an outside the box person, so I'm not always, you know, this is it, take these medications. And I'm always, a, you know, I'm not a big fan of medication. Uh, and I thought, oh God, I don't need this. But then I noticed all the medications are just dampening symptom. They're just yeah. covering, as you said, Band-Aid. You know, it's just anti-inflammation thing yeah. of one. They're all anti-inflammation drugs just going up the chain, basically, right. in my yeah. view. Uh, whether it's low-level cellophane or something up way up yeah. there. And I thought, well... That doesn't make any sense it's all to the same thing. me. Yeah. There's something going on. So then I, you know. Just then, so happened to stumble across. And with across. everything else, especially <laughs> this, there's quackery all out there, right? So I tried it with fake news and that, you know, if it tells you it's going to cure everything, I dismiss it. If people yes. are making money off it, I dismiss it. And if it's jargonized, but with no evidence, I dismiss it. Right. So I thought, you know. I did want to find something different. So if you did that, FMT made it to the then next I, level. And I, and I go on PubMed a lot, you know. <laughs> so I, I don't know how, I, I read your first study and I thought, this makes sense because it's the balance thing. And then I thought, who are these people? It aligned and with I your thought, thinking. I thought, McMaster, yeah. of all the places to re right nearby. So 
Oh, and so you're you live in Hamilton? No, I live in Toronto. Oh, you live in Toronto. But I thought you know it's, not, nearby. Aus- it's not Australia. Right there, yeah, yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> so, For those of you who so, are listening and you are not from the GTA or from Southern Ontario, sixty kilometers. It's yeah, Hamilton, Toronto, like fifty-nine kilometers because yeah. I check my phone every time I go. Yeah, it's, it's just beautiful. The start seeing the escarpment. It's so you beautiful. might. It's yeah. on the way to like you know you're going down. People know of Niagara. Yeah, we're going it's on in that way. area. Yeah. You know, and I have no hesitation in cold contacting people. That's something I do a lot of, <laughs> and yeah. it, it's okay because people usually respond. So I. To Google them up, and as you said, Ta-da. there he is, McMaster. <laughs> yeah. So I just emailed him. I said, I like this. How do I join if possible? Uh, because the, the first study was finished. Right. But I read something that you were maybe doing a second one. Mm-hmm. So I thought, let me try to get that and that. He connected me with the coordinator, Melanie, and then, you know, then it just sort of unfolded from there. As Dr. Mo, I won't go through the whole thing, you know. Uh, you have to be screened, screen. you know, just make sure you don't have something else. That's, you know, so I just passed. went through that. I passed and then uh, just started. I think I was patient number three because I think my number yes. is 103. So yes. I think that's three. <laughs> uh, and then I just started going, as he said, two times a week for eight weeks. It was fall for of 2016. Yeah, so t- just, now tell us about what Dr. Mayeri doesn't know because he hasn't tried oh, the enema doesn't try, yet. I mean, <laughs> you know what? My brother will be very... He won't listen to this podcast because <laughs> at any family dinner I talk... I have no compo- like, I have no aversion to talking about... Meet Chantel. <laughs> Look, you're eating it's a, dinner it's a match. and he doesn't want to talk about... I'm like, where do you think this dinner is going to be coming about eight to 12 hours? Yeah. Exactly. This is natural. It's, and everybody, every animal does it. It's Every like day, so I don't know why. My mom's birthday was on a Tuesday, actually, and I—that was the day that I was sending in uh, my poop sample, my fecal right. calvitation test. And I literally messaged her and I said, "Happy birthday, Ma! Like, I hope your day starts off a bit better than mine. I just shipped my shit with Pierre later." And then she was like, "Oh no, I—I I just had a bagel." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." So. I, I don't mind talking about it. it. Doesn't I'll talk about it over dinner, but I also will watch like medical operations while I'm having dinner. So right. you know, it doesn't bother me that much. Right. Uh, but it's a look for me. So is it coming in regular enema? It's just a syringe. It's I, I'm not I'm not Ooh. discounting this. It's really low tech. You go there. There's a giant syringe. You know, it, and I don't mean to turn people off. It's just no, giant syringe you, holds a lot of liquid. I give enemas regularly right. to myself and, and that's basically what it it's is too. all it is you go there you get ready you lie on your left side nurse there you go it's literally i don't know three seconds do you Speak. need to wait like i know that the enemas i take like endocords I, and and i'm fantastic enemas i you have to stay wait there okay for 10, so i think on the, the current side. patients in the trial have to lay stay on the left side for 20 minutes or something yeah. to, make to make it sure. adhere or something yeah, or yeah just yeah. stay that yeah. way when i did it I was at St. Joe's when they were doing yeah. it. They were like, we need this room, get out of here. So, right. you know, I, I, I'd go home and then I'd lie down. You, know? you must have, like, retention, like you're holding that in. Cause yeah, so some people, I think, can't, you know. Can't hold it. The psychology is, you know, you just, you've got this cold thing and some new liquid in there and you feel, I think, well, you'll probably have, <laughs> I'm sure the nerves are, your brain are like, let's get it out. I have to have a BM. Yeah. Uh, I don't have that. I just I. get over that. I'm like, you know what? This is just my brain trying to trick me into getting rid of this good poop. I'm not going to get rid of it. Stop leaving. And then I'm, <laughs> I'll hold on to this. And I don't usually expel it. Right. But I've seen other patients, as long as they hold it, I think, for the 20 minutes or mm-hmm. hour or so, there's a bathroom there. They can just scurry over there. I've seen someone right. do that. And then, but as long as it's in there for a little while, because bacteria, I guess, will start 
doing their thing pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then I just go on my way. So I just go get it and get out of there. So you did that twice a week for, for the trial period. For how long? Eight weeks. And you obviously, to pass the test to get there, you had active disease. Yes. Now in that eight weeks, did you see your, some of your symptoms diminishing? You know, the funny thing was I didn't have symptoms that were really bad when I went in. So I mean, the scope showed, of- I think you said, moderate, mild, moderate disease and yes. the biopsy. But you weren't that. having a lot of blood or no blood, stool, but it right? was just, okay. so I thought, is anything even happening? Because all looks the same. I thought, you know, they're going to become Bristol stool scale superstars or something. Nothing <laughs> yeah. like, looks the same. Nothing's happening here. You know, and I thought this is like, really, what does healthy poop look like? I don't know. Oh, number four out of it. Yes. There's a chart. There's a chart. I know the poop chart, actually. There's ones that look like so, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, it doesn't look like that. It just looks the same. But anyway, just kept doing it. So you go for your um, your treatment. You... Uh, Every time you go, you take a sample with you, right? Right. So they uh, they can track what's happening to your biome, uh, and then you, when you're done, you have a scope at the end of it. Yeah. So I went for my scope. Trump was elected the day before, so I was like a little bit shocked. Extra stress. <laughs> so yeah. I was like I went for my scope, and so there, clinically, I think he said I was visually zero, and then he took another biopsy, and then that was zero too. So clinically, he was presenting. There was no. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, it looked like a normal colon. That's what zero means. Oh there's basically the looks fine. Wow. Uh, but more importantly, actually, and this is the hardest thing to get, is when you took the biopsy, there was no active inflammation, even microscopically. Right. So, and this is a, another thing. I wouldn't say everyone that goes into remission has this, but most of them. When you take a sample, the pathologist says that there's nothing there. There's no active inflammatory cells at all to see, even under the microscope, which usually, even with a biologic therapy, uh, you... Still exists. It still exists. I, I would, again, with biologic, you can sometimes get that as well. But I, I just, my impression is it, it is more uh, common with, mm-hmm. uh, with this when it works. Right. It doesn't always work. And so, I mean, but for now me, the study's about over. The, what do you do? Oh, so I keep going. But for me, <laughs> look, that, there, I did not want to go up the chain of medications for various reasons. I can't go on prednisone, so then there's a jump to something else, and I don't right. want to go down that road. One of my colleagues has the disease, and he's on, I don't know what it is, but he goes for the infusion. So it's up there. Right. And he has to have his liver tested every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm and on then, that journey right now. So yes. that's going to cause, look, Medication all has side effects and other toxicities that trigger other problems, right. possibly. This thing has like minimal risk in my mind. You know, Dr. Moreda will tell me something different. But to me, the trade-off is it's something I already have. There's this bacterial thing. Yes, there's a risk. You get out some pathogen or whatever, the donor or he or she. But it's such a low risk compared to the medication. Route. I right. thought, why not try it? And it appears to be working. Now, I won't say it's perfect. The first while, I did flare up a bit. Right. And then I just, you know, I'd call Melanie. I'd be like, you know, I need a few more now. So after I was scoped, Dr. Moedi kindly offered. He said, you're doing well. You can do just leave now. Or do you want to just keep coming? And I'm like, sure. So do you coming. still go? Yeah, I go twice. every three weeks. Oh, okay. So you're not I think you can go as, I mean, whatever mm-hmm. your schedule. My schedule is very odd. I have to be working at the office for two years. Anyway, I, every third week I have flexibility work at home. So that then gives me the opportunity to just And you're, drive you're doing home. okay with one 50 milliliter and a, and a every, every three, three weeks. weeks. And you know, a few times when either they're, uh, 
the, the clinics close, like the, it's done in the um, endoscopy unit. So whenever they're on summer holiday break or something, I have had times where I've gone like six weeks without. Right. And I thought, nah, nah, nah. And did you have a, did you feel, did you notice symptoms? I didn't feel anything different, but you right. felt nervous because, you... because I thought, you know what, I'm on this three, but you know, it's psychological. I'm like, Absolutely. Uh, I just picked three because of my work schedule, but now I'm like, three's gotta be it. Yeah. <laughs> it could be two months a year. I don't know, but I'm, right. you know, I just stick with the three. If I change this job or something, I'll have to figure out another. Right. Right. Now at the same but time, you're still taking salifol. Like so nobody's told me, day, well, right? I haven't been to a GI since <laughs> because this is working. I, he's Give me a recommendation now <laughs> mm-hmm. because I'd like to even scale that. Down. I mean, it's to such scale. a low risk medication that maybe it's not worth yeah. the trouble to scale. I, I think that is, uh, I mean, I, I know you've been through this too. We tend to, when we're seeing the benefit, getting well, yeah. we want to reduce those meds. Of course. As as, like get off everything. As I said, I'm not a big chemical person. Yeah. You know, yeah, I yeah. don't want any medication. So... But when it happened, you know, obviously I'm also rational because <laughs> trying right. to take yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if this is a solution and I could scale back, or when he figures out a better way to deliver it, that that becomes my treatment Something rather than, than, yeah. than the, the sort of chemical uh, solution. Well, clearly, if the research keeps pointing in the direction that it is, making this more accessible becomes the next step then. Make it's yeah, naturally. Uh, yes. Uh, um, I think. We have to have the results of this next trial first, um, uh, but uh, I'm certainly interested in scaling this up within Hamilton, but also to to somehow be able to give it to a wider community, so you don't have to keep coming to Hamilton. <laughs> as I, lovely as it is, <laughs> yes, I uh, uh, I certainly appreciate the imposition that is, and there is no reason why it has to be like that. Uh, but uh, so. I do feel in, in the long term, this will be another option for patients. Right at the moment, just want to be clear, it doesn't work in everyone. No. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it doesn't cure anyone. Uh, we, you still need to keep taking right. it. But provided you do that, it, it does seem like for most people, that gives long-term a solution to the problem. They stay in remission for quite a while. Uh, and uh, we've just got to make sure people can access it. Um, as I said, it's just regulations that really getting in the way of that at the moment. Yeah. Uh, can I ask, you said it doesn't work for everyone, but of your trials, what percent is it working for? So, um, you know, define working. Ah, um, <laughs> well, success. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, so, but I can success. say the same thing. And yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's the scientists coming out. Yeah, no, that's or fine. Improved that's fine. Or or they've anything. gone down the scale, I guess. Yeah, so if you're talking about improved symptoms, uh-huh. so roughly okay. half the people it works in. Wow. If, you're, if you're looking at remission like we've just described, where everything looks normal and you've got no or very minimal symptoms, then that is actually only about a quarter of the people, about quarter. 25%. That's still a big I, I percentage. Just, yeah, I feel like in the medical world, that's still at least, like, that's yeah, a quarter. Uh, that, that, that yeah. is, that's actually not any better, by the way, than the current biologic treatments, but it isn't actually any worse yeah. either. Yeah. The reason that it's not used by everyone, unlike the biologic treatments where literally thousands of people have gone into trials, um, less have gone into trials here. I'm really grateful for Ziad for, for volunteering for this and seeking me out. And, and we need more people like Ziad. <laughs> Which so is that why we we're going to Google. <laughs> we can understand this better. Uh, and by the way, we have a trial in Crohn's disease with a poop pill, uh, the same thing. Uh, uh, it's a pill. It's a pill. Way easier. 
Well, yeah, and why we is don't that? Do, because it affects because more because it generally power. affects the the small bowel, right? Uh, and the ileum exactly. Mm -hmm. So the pill has been designed in Edmonton to be released there. Um, where, and actually, the rectum is the one area where Crohn's disease doesn't affect so much. It's actually right. quite rare for it to affect the rectum. So giving an enema doesn't seem to make sense. Right. But giving a pill that we then coat the whole bowel eventually uh, made more sense for that disease. So that's the, that's what we're offering in Crohn's disease. In my eyes, a pill or an enema is the same thing. But when you have IBD for 13 years and you've been doing pills and enemas and suppositories for 13 years, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and, and as I said, my my thing is, it, even if it has the same efficacy as a as biologic or some kind of drug, the the side effect and risk of those it's other lower. drugs over long term, yeah, you have to yeah. balance that. Out. I feel it's just like people getting over the the stigma that this is. Well, pain, yeah, like. I mean, I yes, yeah. but also maybe not knowing about this is a huge thing Absolutely. because I've heard of fecal transplant a whole bunch. Yeah. But this is the first time I've actually really gotten into the nuts and bolts of what it now is. I've warned listeners. I mean, there's a, you've probably seen it when I got on there. Desperate people, because you get desperate, yeah. are starting all sorts of you know risky home DIY. Do oh, not do that. Uh, well, if no. I, I'll emphasize, I read so many articles because when I was flaring up, I was like, you know what? Before I met Dr. Mayetti or learned he was right here. Uh, and, you know, when the, some guy went to Mexico and oh some guy God. knocked on his neighbor's door in New York City, he's like, give me your poop. I'll do it in my tub. Yeah, so you know, so do not do that because I think that the risk is very high because poop oh can carry God. all sorts of bad oh stuff. Oh, my gosh. Give me your poop. So I'll do it in my tub. Like, Dr. Brady, <laughs> That's it very clear for us. Your poop is screened yeah. and then yeah. it's saved yeah. and then it's screened again and things are removed yeah. and even something as going on antibiotics for seven yeah. weeks because you, I mean, seven days because yeah. you have a strep throat means your poop is not yeah. used. Like this, yeah. please, yeah. no. No, I'm a, I'm a big promoter of FMT, but I think it needs to be in this, you know, Protected. controlled, controlled, safe absolutely. environment. Uh, so I, I just don't want people to listen to, you know, my yeah. experience and say, Fantastic. I'll get my neighbor's poop and start at home. Do I, not do that. that. Once again, <laughs> once again, <laughs> once again, this does illustrate for all of us the thing that we can't hear enough, which is don't eat somebody else's poop. I think it's really important. <laughs> exactly. This message is not there. No, and I know, I mean, again, my disease, from what I've read, people have it really bad. So I don't want to yeah. say I had it bad. Sure. It was probably mild to moderate. And then I found this wonderful doctor and I got in this trial. I'm feeling better right now. I did flare even after mm -hmm. the trial on and off. Um, but I know that reading people's stories, you can get very desperate oh, and then yeah. you'll search out yeah. people can get taken advantage of or they'll do desperate things. So just don't, I just don't want people to walk away. Of course. So at the time when you had flared, I think 2018, you mentioned you yeah. know, when you had flared. Did you go up on other medications did you, or did you continue with your 5-ASA and then just kind of like double up on your yeah, I, FMT or? I can't continue with the Salifolk and then I had Salifolk enemas at home. So I thought, you know what, I'll get that right in to where right. possibly the inflammation I the is. So I kept doing <laughs> that. That would help then drop. And then I called Melanie. I said, listen, you know, I need a few extra to get to see if that will help. And for a while it did. It took a long time, but she let me have a few, you know, I'd go more often uh, every two weeks, sometimes right. even every week. And then it just stopped out of the blue. It just stopped. Interesting. And it, so when, you when we met. You didn't have to go up higher on any climb No, and as I said, I don't really, I can't really get on to prednisone. So 
I don't want to jump any further, my aversion to those things. Uh, and when we met, we talked about it and your theory, you know, I said, look, what is this latitude and temperature thing uh, tracks with uh, my flare started in the winter. So I was thinking, you know, oh my, gosh, my mind was change of seasons, like right. So clockwork. it was a December, it triggered uh, and then it ran. But I'll probably jinx myself now since June 2018, nothing like last December, nothing I was like, like, you know, a little bit nervous. And then nothing happened. And then I, I'm like clockwork change of season. It is almost guaranteed I will flare in December. Yeah, so I, I mean, you know, I don't know what it is, but they're. Yeah. So, you know, again, it, it all ties into the infectious agent possibly causing this. Because what's interesting is that uh, Canada leads the world in hockey and also <laughs> IBD. Yes, right? we do. Yes. And it's growing. <laughs> yeah. The latest, the, two, the 2018 report of IBD in Canada is, you know, by, by, and then within a year or two, I think we're going to have 1% of our population with IBD. Yeah, and no like other country has it as much. Yeah. yeah. And why is that? Um, and actually, when we studied the prevalence according to the, the area you were in, the interesting thing is it goes with latitude. Uh, I think it go, will correlate, although I haven't done the analysis, correlate even more with temperature. Which the I northern think, hemispheres. Yeah, yeah, well, it's not just latitude. I think it's about the temperature your country is in winter. So I'm from the UK originally. You might be able to pick it up in the accent. <laughs> uh, we didn't yeah, so. did not get that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm from the UK originally. That's where I trained. And um, UK is actually way north of Canada. Yeah. Uh, you don't think of it, but actually mm -hmm. uh, we'd be, you know, the UK is north of Calgary yeah. and further, you know. London's at 54 yeah. degrees. I live yeah. there and the sun doesn't I lived in London yeah. too yeah. for a year. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, to me, Canada is supposedly north, according to America, but uh, you have uh, way longer uh, days in winter and way shorter days in summer than I'm used to in the UK. Yeah, but we beat your hockey team every year. Yeah. <laughs> no, no question. But you also beat it in terms of IBD right. as well. Yeah. And yet it's further north. Mm. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was just astonished with the amount of inflammatory bowel disease I was seeing in Canada compared to my practice at, mm -hmm. in the UK. Uh, and so it's not I, as cold in London in the winter. Exactly. It's when we met, damp, you said Vancouver has a different yeah, situation. So yeah, so all of Canada has the same, you know, sadly high rates, except uh, Vancouver or BC, where they have British weather. Wow. Like Victoria. Victoria. You can golf warmer. in Victoria yes. in January. Wow. <laughs> and they have British, uh, British levels of inflammatory bowel disease as well. It's, and so, they're further north than Toronto. It's yeah. interesting, too, because treating the disease, I always remember as a kid, I, I would be healthier in summertime which made my parents think I was, you know, full yeah. of it because, oh, I go to school over and now you're well. But I also remember like vacations. That's bad, yeah. <laughs> but vacations where we would go to warm weather, I would always have like a, you know, I would always feel myself, per I've been in climates where I remember mm. being in Hawaii mm. and feeling like my body feels so healthy yeah. in this climate. Mm. I don't Well, for a while I thought it was vitamin D because look, I'm brown. And I thought, you know, I've come here. I did that because that was one thing I that shows up when yeah. you read this. Yeah. It's inflammation related. But when you said Vancouver has less, I mean, they have less sun. So then I, but I don't know. My vitamin D was low. So I just yeah. supplement with that anyway in the winter just yeah. to keep it up. Because when I did get my vitamin D test, it was very low. 
uh, mine, in the winter. Same as mine too. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. and that's another thing too. I, so I go back many years to when I was diagnosed. I was diagnosed as a kid and I'm like probably 21 now, as you guys can see. Um, <laughs> shut up everyone. Uh, so, um, what was I going to say? I forgot. I made a funny joke. I forgot. Uh, oh, yeah. And I remember hearing that culturally speaking, it was like <clears throat> a Caucasian uh, disease or predominantly Caucasian. Or Jewish. Or, too. Ju or yeah. Jewish people. Got, like, so I weird. remember it sort of breaking out that way, but. But you're but thinking the, about more of a geographical. Well, the so, most recent study has pointed at like first generation Canadians, first generation born Canadians. You start Canadians. picking it up. Yeah, yeah, like there's no history of it, but you're the first one born here in Canada. You've grown up here. Or, I moved here and then. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, Welcome to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's, your, here's your hockey. Here's your UC. Yeah, at the same time that you get your citizenship, we're going to give you IBG. <laughs> and now, <laughs> poop. Here's your yeah. poop. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could give people that when they arrive. Here's your enema. I live in Pickering beside the nuclear power plant. When I moved to Pickering, they gave me that little blue pill that if something were to happen, I'm like, what is this pill really going to do for me if this thing blows up? Like, you know? So is that... Uh... No, so that was the thinking yeah. when you were younger than 21. I'm 22, so I know yeah, exactly I see what you Guys, I'm only 19. But... Uh, but that was simply because the West was all, they were the only people at that point that had IBD. Now there are other countries that are Westernizing. So Japan, for example, is a classic example of that. I see. So Japan had no osteoclastic, well, virtually no osteoclastic or Crohn's disease when I was younger than 22. Right. But now, Four years ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, 20 years later, they're now seeing a rise in osteocolitis. They still don't see much Crohn's, but they see osteocolitis just as we saw in Canada in the 1960s. And we know what's going to happen because we know what happens in Canada is they've just got the same rates as mm -hmm. we had then. And it will go up and up and up and then it will plateau and then Crohn's disease will start going up. And they're starting to see exactly that. Wow. So we need to stop it. So what does it do? <laughs> it's not that there are no yeah. genetics to the Jewish thing, the Ashkenazi Jews. It's not just Jewish, it's Ashkenazi Jews are at a higher risk, probably because of genetic uh, things, but that's actually fairly modest. Right. It, there are genetic predispositions, but the main thing in this is environmental, and of course it mm -hmm. has to be, because everywhere in the world, this was rare before the Second World War. But so what is, is it a hygiene, a hygiene hypothesis thing that we, we're so sterile, or is it our diet that Western, even the more developed you become, you eat all these process, because mm. I'm vegetarian on top of it all. So I thought my bugs should be happy, but that didn't seem to. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, studies show yeah. that, um, that although red meat may increase your risk of getting the disease yeah. a little bit, there's nothing dramatic. Yeah. And so I think it may be something, it's certainly something to do with Western living. I think the hygiene hypothesis, whilst makes sense, if you're cleaner, you're not used to infection as much. Yeah. I think it's more, it's still with the balance you were talking about earlier. If you've got lots and lots of different bacteria all fighting mm -hmm. in the same environment, it's very difficult for one organism right. to catch a hold and cause a disease. Yes. When you have less of those around, still plenty, believe me, <laughs> but when there is a bit less around because of cleaner living and pasteurization and more uh, sort of... Uh, uh, as you say, processing of food to make it cleaner, uh, 
the, the environment may be less diverse and may be more prone to these things. That doesn't mean actually that pasteurization mm -hmm. is bad, for yeah. example. H. pylori is a classic example of that. As we got cleaner living, that H. pylori could exist in your stomach a lot easier mm -hmm. and you got a situation where you found ulcers. That bug had been around since Egyptian times and right. even first man, first man, I think something like 20,000 years ago, found in Germany, uh, they did his stomach and he had H. pylori as well. Uh, so it's been around forever, but it was a change in Western diet that led to duodenal ulcers. But again, it wasn't that hygiene hypothesis itself, mm -hmm. it was more, it allowed- More of a diversity, yeah. like of politics. You yeah. want more diversity because yes. you're more at risk, I guess, if you yeah. have less One, diversity. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah, so you become mm -hmm. more at risk. The hygiene hypothesis, just for you listeners who probably may not know this, it's the concept that your immune system uh, is always triggered by lots and lots of infections. So you develop a healthy immune system, whereas if everything's hygiene, your immune system is not so used to fighting things. I feel like this was like my mom yeah. when I was well, a kid. If somebody had chicken pox, she's like, you're going to their house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just like, right, exposed. Yeah. Exposed. Like, right. No, I mean, I've read, uh, you can correct me if this is wrong, please, because I don't want to spread any sort of False internet yeah. memes that are fake. But I've read that people with pets and people who work on farms have less IBD. And maybe it's just because they're exposed to more, you know, your cat or dog is probably covered with all sorts of stuff and you're living with them or animals in general on a farm. I don't know. But, I've read you know, that. I, I don't think about bacteria is a living thing. And any, I feel like any living thing is going to thrive in an environment that's cleaner. Yes. Uh, that's like probably simply true. put, yeah. like yeah. truly, yeah. I will thrive and yeah. I will personally feel much better if I'm in a space that's clean as opposed to uncluttered with lots of different people or bacteria living in there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, get out of my like, cold. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, it's just how I feel, like. Yeah, uh, this, like everything else, diversity is good. And, uh, Shouldn't build just, a wall in my colon yeah, then. No, that's <laughs> probably a bad thing. And the Trump reference may well have uh, been more sensible yeah, related to this as well. We've brought him yes. too much into this podcast. Yes, yes. It's a name I like not to say. Yes. So. Um, so that's fascinating. Do you, do you think that there is a, a correlation between people who uh, live on farms and? Yeah, so. That is right. There is research that says that. I would say there are some things that are clearly true in that time and time again you do the study, you see exactly the same thing. The, the pet story and the rural urban, the rural urban does seem to hang out. It's more of an urban than a rural problem. Uh, but, I wonder if that's because of diagnosis and access and to And people wonder all right. about that. Yeah. And so, uh, that is consistent. The pet story is probably hasn't been as well studied and quite as consistent. Mm -hmm. So um, there's certainly that story there. I wouldn't want your listeners to think I must Go get, get rid of it. I've had yeah, lots of pets. I had lots of pets growing up. I also oh, okay. have IP. So. <laughs> yeah. And in all of these things, that effect is very small. This is not the big, uh, big reason. And so don't all go to farms tomorrow and you'll be fine. <laughs> there are plenty of uh, people living in rural areas who have Toronto Zoo is going to be yeah. dated tomorrow. No licking a chicken. Yeah. Don't anyone go and So just before we conclude here, I just want to, you know, especially it was very interesting about this temperature in the winter and stuff. Yeah. Do you think that FMT could ever get to a point where, let's say, people living in more health, like healthier regions of the world that that could be used or just transport in the stool is not going to be possible. It's still, we're still going to have to make sure that people stay healthy in our 
cold winters, <laughs> collect their poo and use it. Actually, we, we joke about that, although there may be an element of truth in it. You know, there are, in the third world countries, they're sort of, they've got all sorts of problems and nothing to sell to the West. Maybe they could sell us their poo. I don't and, even uh, think we should talk on. about that. I think that should be something. That's a great market yeah. for somebody. And, uh, given you can you can get this in the states, and they'll charge you a thousand dollars a time. By the way, uh, and it, it is ridiculous. What? Yes. For this treatment, a thousand dollars a trip a, a to time. help yeah. somebody's poop yeah. put in your butt. Yeah. So, I can see why God, people would go to their neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's just yeah. to emphasize it's free under the study conditions here. Right. We right. very much uh, uh, would be against that. Um, but uh, the point is, is that you've got a third world country. Now, of course, they've got all sorts of diseases as well. So that uh, 10% would get down to 0.1%. Yes. But actually, they would have a very diverse bacteria and yeah. actually might be uh, useful. useful for uh, for Canadians with less diverse bacteria. Uh, so I, it's a joke at this stage, but you know we but could go to the third world and say, give us your poop. It may do us good. Now, it's a big May and I wouldn't want your listeners to think that's our next plan or anything else, but it's not as crazy as you might think. No, yeah. it's not bad. And yeah. I also think it's sort of exciting that to think if this goes well and you know, the implications of your research might mean that some point in the foreseeable future, we could go to our doctors and get a prescription for a vacation somewhere warm. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be covered under a health plan. You know, like, what does that I mean perfect? To to I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay, so just for our listeners, if you are a healthy person, you have no diagnosis, you don't have IBD, and you're listening and you're thinking, hey, I donate blood and I would like to try donating poop as well. Mm-hmm. Or if you are a patient of um, IBD, you can reach out to Dr. Paul Mayetti, look, uh, look him up on Google for the spelling. So yeah. Paul, P-A-U-L, and his last name is M-O-A-Y-Y-E-D-I. Just so we make sure we get you and not somebody else. Could start um, talking about poo with somebody yeah, else. So, like, um, really... But you're definitely still recruiting both healthy and IBD patients. Both for both Crohn's and, and also Yes. And Ziad, you're a true testament of people should give it a try. Give it a try. I can't, I mean, it's not, it may not work, but what, consider it this way, what's the downside? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Make some and friends. If you're poo averse, all I can say, get over it. You know what? Yeah, I mean, it's not, a great right. way to get over it. Get really, over yeah. it's not, do you want to have blood coming out and possibly go down and the road and, and have all sorts of toxic chemicals put into you or just deal with this? Uh, I, I joke. This Poop is natural. Yeah, it's just, this is the way. And find comfort in the fact that like, you know, this is going through intensive screening. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's not, it's not just, here you go. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, Again, uh, just to reiterate, he said it's not a cure, but it helps it, to get remission. How it gets you back, I think, other than those other drugs, it brings you maybe closer to a balance because, as Dr. Moyetti has said, when you, I, I don't know if you said in the podcast, we talked about it before, but I've talked to Melanie about it. The people who go into remission start to reflect the donor bias. And right. when you go off of, is that an e- yeah? So that's more diverse biome. Uh, so no, it's not. So first of all, the diversity thing is is unclear. We've we basically looked at every study, and okay. of course, the studies that say 
people with Crohn's disease and osteoarthritis have a less diverse bio and they get sort of highly cited. But actually there's an equal number of studies that say, you know what, it's the, the same. same. Right. Uh, and actually when we look at it, it looks very similar. Uh, the, the number, the, dis, the variety of organisms is not that much different. Mm. Okay. Uh, that's what uh, diversity means, is the variety of different bacteria in your bowel. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't seem that much different. And even those studies that say it is, it's not dramatic. Right. right. Uh, so, uh, and the transplant is it's stuck, so we're stuck with it. But I, I wouldn't want people to think they immediately have the donor's by um, gut bacteria actually it shifts towards that but it it isn't a transplant in the usual sense of things but we still also have to like we would there should be a shift as well like that's the purpose we need yeah. to have different bacteria so we should see a little bit more so of a shift. it does yeah. shift towards the donor but mostly you keep your own bacteria that you've always had but there's maybe 10 percent uh, right. of, of, uh, of the donor's bacteria that seem to take in you and working out how we're actually um, it's working in some people and not in others uh, is part of the challenge that we yeah. are uh, working through at the moment uh, but uh, I uh, strongly believe the more people uh, that uh, are kind enough to take part in this study like the ad are are going to lead to the cure. It's not about me or the team. It's about the patients who come and help us uh, work out what is causing this disease. I'm going to have to disagree with them there. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, look, it helps me. Look, it's all everybody's getting something out of it and Absolutely. contributing something. Yeah. I, obviously, it's self-interest. Yeah. I'm I'm benefiting totally. from it. But if I can be some small part of mm -hmm. the solution to help other people, obviously, the you know, group, yeah. yeah. So. I, I don't downplay. If you weren't doing this, where would I be, right? Well, but um, if you didn't volunteer, where would I be? So uh, it's, a is this, it's a partnership. Is this a partnership yeah. exactly? And uh, but I wouldn't want to think that their microbiome suddenly changes to this healthy donor. Yeah. You actually keep most of your bacteria just the same, but a few go and a few come back. When I say a few, you have more bacteria in your bowel than there are stars in the galaxy. So, uh, you know, in our, in our minds, it's a few, but actually in terms of the number of bacteria, it is literally trillions of change. Uh, but ultimately, it's a modest change from what you were, but that modest change in some people makes a dramatic difference. Um, and uh, uh, we hope to understand what we're doing better so we can, we can help more people. Well, gentlemen, we are so grateful that you took your time out of today to be here with us. I am so excited. I, I've already started a biologic two days ago, but now I just feel like I'm just so proud. If I change you. my mind one more time, are you going to be upset with me? He's probably going to, but it doesn't matter. Um, he, he's a big supporter of this. He's a very big supporter. Yes. Very big, actually. I can personally attest to that. Um, so we appreciate both of you, Dr. Moyetti and Ziad, for being here um, and being so open and yes. sharing your experiences. Um, and congratulations on doing so well. Oh, well. Yes. I hope it holds, you know. I, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, rem I, I remember, I think I speak for Chantel, like when you've gone through the, the pain of it and, and you kind of come out the other side feeling some degree of wellness. Mm -hmm. It's such an amazing relief. Mm -hmm. And I hope you get to hold on to it for a yeah. really long time. You know? Thank yeah. you. It's life changing. 
All right. So those of you listening, we'll, of course, post some information on Facebook, on our Facebook page. We'll post Dr. Mayetti's information. So you might not necessarily have to Google it. We'll just give it to you. Um, Remember, we're looking for people with Crohn's disease, people with ulcerative colitis, and, of course, our healthy donors. We really need you. We really need Um, you. So thanks for listening, everyone. Strength and positive thoughts. Until next time. Guts and Glory is produced by Bang Albino, Inc., a full-service creative agency. 